welcome again to a novel evening. As ever, I'm Danny. You can find me on Instagram as Books. Hopefully you know the drill by now. Um, but if for any reason this is your first time here, you're a new listener, this is the podcast where I chat with fellow book lovers uh, and basically ask them to devise their ideal fictional fantasy night of fun. Uh, and you'd be surprised what my guests can come up with. Um, results vary greatly. Um, and for this episode, I'm going to be joined by the delightful Chickadilly Imelimadu, who is the author of Dazzling. If you have not seen these proofs on Instagram, I mean, Lord, they are beautiful. Um, they are p- quite possibly one of the most beautiful proofs I think I've ever seen, dare I say it. Um, they are absolutely gorgeous. And I've seen a sneak peek of the finished product. And oh my word, I know you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but luckily... The insides of this book are as beautiful as the outsides and I cannot wait to talk to her all about her inspiration for Dazzling, uh, what comes next for her, where she came up with this beautiful, rich, vivid story and I hope she's going to bring a touch of that to her novel evening. So a massive hello to Chickadilly. Hello. Hi. How are you doing? Well, I'm all right. It's not too bad. It's not sunny today like it was yesterday, but um, it's yeah. not too bad outside. So I'm happy. I felt like we were finally getting like a little bit of spring. No, I I, I don't think I trust it when spring is that early because it means we're going to get to April and into snow. So I just like things to follow their due, their due course and not skip. But um, I mean, it was sunny. Uh, even though it was cold, it was sunny. And it made me nervous. It made me happy, but nervous. So now it's grey and cold outside again. I'm more relaxed, I think, because that's what <laughs> it's it should what be. we're accustomed to. I mean, I don't yeah, know that's what it should far. be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I want, I want to have a proper spring, and I want to have a proper. I mean, I don't like summer that much because it's too hot, but I want to have a proper spring. I don't want the spring where we break because it's snowing or something. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm on the Devon coast, and I feel like we have our own like microclimate oh, anyway. Oh, uh, Cornwallia. Yeah, you're all the way in your different. That's a different country, though, isn't it? Yeah, let's maybe. face it yeah you are, you are incorporated into england by alexander by um what's his face um what's his name again oh, i'm not name. thinking alexander the great what's the what's the name of this king oh who had the dream of a unified england not william not no, not william the conqueror edward no not edward edward williams edwards richards what's the name of what's the name of what's the name of him who had the the stomach thing the stomach issue Oh well, never mind. Um, Somebody will tell me. Someone's gonna listen and be like, "It was this." Yeah, be like, be like, "Oh my god, these two people, they don't know anything." <laughs> my my excuses, I'm Nigerian. Okay, so you should know this. I this should know. Yeah. I'm <laughs> so born and bred. I should know <laughs> this. This is your history. <laughs> oh my god, I'm technically I'm from Dorset, and I've now relocated to Devon. It's it's not very far away. I've not really mm. gone very far. But we definitely, like, if the rest of the country has it, like, gloriously hot, it'll be raining here. So I can trust mm. nothing. Everyone else is like, oh, snow. And I'm like, we have no snow. Yeah. It's yeah. Okay. It's all right. Like, it's pretty. I, I, but quite it's- like the, I quite like, I haven't actually been to Cornwall before, I don't think. I haven't been to Devon. As- actually, am I lying? <laughs> I remember. I feel like I've been to, I have been to Devon, haven't I? Because I had this yogurt that was just so thick and creamy. That's all I remember is, like, yogurt. Um... But I haven't been been because I had a I had a baby at the time and there was a lot of focusing on the baby and and yeah. stuff. So I haven't been since then because I hear you. In addition to your microclimate, you also have a lot of belief in the supernatural and fairies and piskies and goblins yeah. and trolls. And so I just know not to walk on in any kind of place by myself to make sure I have I have someone who's native to the area because I don't want to end up as food for the eldritch gods that's very true things like that. <laughs> yeah we obviously have the moors which are very there's so many stories about the moors um and i love it there but yeah there's loads of you know folklore about yeah, about the area myself is my point i'm not and i didn't leave nigeria to come and end up as a sacrifice <laughs> for some devon god for some, for some devon god it's so, devon you've got to watch no. out for you yeah. know that's what you've got to watch out for it's the <laughs> southwest we uh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. we have our own that. ways and our own traditions i for- know i know leaving milk out and things i know people still do that because i met someone who's from cornwall recently and he was saying to me yeah i still my mom still leaves milk out and i was like yeah I'll be staying in your house there so that her protection can extend to me because I really I can't be dealing with um any other uh, 
eldritch eldritch horrors coming up no and speaking of so your book dazzling i have it here firstly i mean it's possibly the prettiest proof i've i own yeah it was gonna look this good well seriously i had nothing to do with it i had nothing to do with it. i wanted it to look like a bible um i wanted it to look like <laughs> like you could find it in a church of england bench and and the uh, wildfire just ignored me. They're like, oh, yay. Okay, but how about this instead? So I'm glad they didn't listen. Like, great plan. <laughs> no. Yeah, I just wanted it to be black and to have, like, one gold leopard rosette in the middle. Um, and they sent a few. I sent a few. emails. I said, oh, I like this. You know, and I, I, I had a clearer idea of what I did not want. Yeah. Um, so I didn't want any of that, you know, Ubuntu kind of setting, you know, with the tree and the animals I didn't want any of that I was like yay Matuhenya but not not on my book you know so um they came up with this by themselves and the the designer the illustrator is some a woman called Holly Ovenden who is just her work is just amazing and so I think to be honest I don't even think I'm both if I say despite the fact that her work is glorious and it's just saturated in color and it's amazing. I still think my proof is the prettiest thing that she's done. And that's pretty, that's saying a lot. Yeah. And so um, I have, I have absolutely nothing to do with the proof, but I am just going to sit back and enjoy all the praise yeah. that comes with, with me behind it because <laughs> it's so shiny. It's so beautiful, you know, and, and because it has a lot of color in it, I can always, I'm never going to not have something that that matches because we wear a lot of color in Nigeria. So, you know. And the finished, like the finished product as well. I saw the first. Yeah. Also insane. Yeah, but you know, the funny thing is, um, so with the hardcover, I, I decided to strip, to take the jacket off, the very colorful jacket off and to find out what it looked like underneath. And it looked like a Bible underneath. So I guess I got my wish in the end. You got what you wanted. Yay! Yes. <laughs> they like, just give it a Bible. <laughs> My Bible with a jacket on. <laughs> yeah, they're like, just put it underneath and then... Yes, we... yeah, yeah. It was just plain black. It's like, here you go. Um, yeah. you so I'm happy, I'm happy with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm happy with it by the way. It's so beautiful. And the story itself, I mean, I went into it and I think I went into it expecting something completely different to what I read because I was astounded. It's quite dark and visceral and, you know, there's magic in it, but it is kind of a darker magic that you experience. And I mean, I don't want to give anything away, spoilers or anything like that, because I genuinely think people need to read it and experience these two girls. But to start off with, what was your inspiration? Where did this story come from in your head? Um, I think that I don't think there was any one particular influence for the story. I think what tends to happen is you live, right? You live, you grow up and you have a myriad influences you know, that inform your experience and somehow, you know, through the, through things just marinating or percolating, suddenly this story comes in there, but a good, a good, um, so the, the setting for the story, for instance, was influenced by um, a school that I went to. I went to boarding school twice. Well, no, I went to two boarding schools, not twice, because I'm, I'm, I'm not like, I didn't have to repeat classes or anything like that, but I went to two boarding schools. The first boarding school I went to is, um, the boarding school that I set Dazzling in. Right. It was in the middle of nowhere. You had to move past, so I left, it was past my, and I went to boarding school at nine years old, by the way. So this was the first time that I was living yeah. away from my parents. It was the next state over. And then you got to the next, so there was a, a good few, oh, it felt like ages, good few hundred kilometers between the two, maybe. And then you got to the to the actual city and then you had to go past the city into the villages and you had to pass so many villages before you got to this clearing in in the middle of this forest almost and the descriptions I have for the book um, in the book are very true to how it was in that suddenly you'd be driving along this very narrow road with vegetation smacking against the windscreen and smacking against the side mirrors and then you bust out into this place and oh look there's a school there so it was very much in the middle of nowhere and it was in such a remote location that we didn't have a gate, a school gate. There was just no point because 
whatever was outside was much worse than what was inside. So good luck to you. If you if you made it if you made it out of school and you thought to yourself, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go and have fun outside school or whatever, you had to get yourself through all those villages yeah. to the capital city where you could then have. Oh my God, no, it just was not worth it. This was not to say, of course, that some senior students didn't do this, especially if they had brothers and sisters who were dedicated to driving all the way and getting them out for like weekend parties and stuff. But it was forbidden to do that. And I remember once six um, senior students, so the most senior class was, is a class called Senior Secondary Three. Three boys, three girls went for a party and they were expelled on the spot. So they had to go to another school to do their A-levels, which is just Whoa. a fact, isn't it? But um, it was very much a matter of, it seems like an overreaction, but it was very much a matter of, um, because the journey was so far away from the cap from the capital city of the state in most states um it just they they put themselves in a lot in a lot they put themselves in harm's way yeah. to be able to make that journey and so the school had to it was a zero tolerance policy for things like that because they didn't want to encourage kids to to do that as well so it's very much true to life in terms of the school setting um, now, the other things that influenced the book was um, I, I have an interest in um, the leopard, like secret societies and the way that they policed pre-colonial societies in Nigeria. So they have different kinds of societies, but the most popular one where I come from, the Southeast and the South-South, um, is the Leopard Society. And the Leopard Society was made up with men, very secret society, very mysterious. And it was their job to sort of like keep people in line. So to check murderers and I mean, God help you if you raped someone. Oh my God. You know, because they didn't just um they didn't just punish whoever was the perpetrator, they punished their family as well. Right. Because in my culture, the belief is that you're very much a representation of your family, gene pool, everything wise. So if somebody did something, say if you killed somebody or if you raped somebody, if you stole from somebody, the entire family was condemned. Mm -hmm. So the last thing you wanted was to attract the attention of anybody in that group. And you didn't know when you were attracting the attention because they weren't well-known. They weren't, they were secret. They operated at night. And, you wouldn't know if someone was part of it then. You wouldn't know if your name. Yeah, you just wouldn't. You just wouldn't know, you know. And so they would, and if, when they punished people, when they killed people, they left their, so it's sort of like a taboo to have corpses just lying around. Yeah. You know, so they would leave their corpses in the middle of crossroads as a was a warning yeah. to other people, and they would leave it desecrated, hearts missing, that kind of stuff. And so they were very much aware of getting people to act the way they were supposed to act to make sure that you know a lot of the crimes that were that that were committed were swiftly punished, but also it deterred people from any sort of crime because it meant that you didn't know who was watching and the punishment was swift. Now, as with any society, of course, having ultimate power, you know, it's also open to corruption. And so you had people in these societies who maybe wanted to, who coveted people's land, for instance, you know, getting rid of, or wives, or wanting to get rid of their opponent's sons, whatever. But the one thing I wanted to highlight with them was that they were the sort of the army come MI5 units that terrified the British colonial governors and soldiers. And um, they, they made things very difficult for them in Nigeria, it was very difficult for them to settle. Um, and there were, there were a lot of um, arrests made of so-called leopard members and stuff but it was not easy to pin them down. Yeah. So it took a lot of, and this was where the, the missionaries came into effect because the missionaries and the, the executive arm of, of the government, like the British government and also the, I don't know if executive is the right word, but the executive arm of the government, the government arm and the, and the religious arm were working hand in hand. So the first thing they had to do was to convince people that their ways of life were not valid yeah and that the gods they worshipped were false and that there was hellfire and there was one true god and so when that began to work then you saw more and more people turning on the leopard societies because they weren't afraid anymore of what was going to happen to them because they had this protection of this bigger god somewhere 
And what tended to happen was a lot of people who were on the lowest rungs of the ladder, so people who are maybe slaves and the enslaved, who had been taken from towns and villages far, far away, probably don't even remember when they were taken. So they were the they were the ones who began to turn on their masters and you know people who were outcasts, for instance, or had a lower uh, there wasn't a let me just say lower caste system, right? What what we found was that when the British began to convert them, then it was easier then to control the leopard societies because it meant that they were now at the top and everybody else who was higher than them was now at the bottom. So they were the first people to go to school, for instance. They got baptized first. They got, um, they used to give them this like toweling robe to wear to school that was white. And, you know, so they were like sacred. So what that, they started to destabilize the system from the bottom. So I was very much interested in what if the leopard society still existed, but not in the way that we think it does. What if it was still there, but rather than be a physical thing. So men are very much, um, you know, we talk about the fact that a lot of men right now don't have wars to fight. They have to be doing something like that. And when they can't have that, then there's chaos in society. But what if the function of the male leopards at the time was to have a totally physical on earth direction, you know, where they kept law and order, et cetera, et cetera. Now, what if there was a female leopard? What if, what would be her jurisdiction? It wouldn't be the same as a man's jurisdiction. It would be something a little bit more intuitive, supernatural, spiritual, emotional, something um, that would happen where physical force was not necessarily required. This is not to say that Ozemena, the leopard protagonist, is not strong, but it's very much a what would happen if this still existed, but in a different form and with women or a woman instead of instead of men. So I think those are the main influences of the book. I think that's so interesting as well. And it's very interesting when you bring women into these kind of societies and these cultures, imagining how different they'd be in these kind of traditionally male societies. Exactly. So the, the power structure, obviously, would not be one in which, because, I mean, they are very strong women. I'm not good. I mean, physically strong women. Women are, a lot of women are very, very physically strong. But we're talking about, like, it's not, it's, it's scientific that, you know, the way that a man's body, for instance, is, is, is made, um, is made stronger than ours. They need bigger, they need, they need more calories. They, you know, in the old days, they used to be the hunter gatherer type, you know, this is not to say, so I come from a place where we had female warriors as well. And the reason why they were so successful is because nobody expected them to be female warriors. And so they will take you by surprise. But the whole point is that the way that we would fight as women is not the way that men would fight. And it's not just the physical strength thing. It's the fact that for eons, we've been on the lower rung of the ladder, we've been oppressed. And so you have to learn to adapt or you die. You know, so the way that you fight has to be different. You can't all you can't always be all physical and all showing everybody what you can do in person. And if you think about it with like female boxers, for instance, when they are training to spar with male counterparts, they always like I have a I I have I used to I used to do boxing, and the one thing they used to tell me at the time was, you're never going to physically work out this guy. This particular guy that I was sparring with he'd been doing it for years and he's bigger he was bigger than I was he was broader shouldered he was so I had to be quicker quicker on my feet before he lumbered and turned I had to basically land two blows for everyone that he you know like he had to try and catch me you know sights yeah. had to he had to kind of like be very quick and so I thought okay what if I created somebody who having gone through you know an unconscious because it's unconscious isn't it when you have your mother, grandmother, great-grandmother who have had to survive. How have they done it? They've done it in a way that is different from how your great-grandfather, grandfather and father would do it. But they've imparted this knowledge without you being aware of it. So you have to be more nimble. You have to be cunning. You have to be manipulative. You have to be quick, you know? And so I was interested in how she would handle power and how she would use that power out of a structure of, you know, brute force, like, yeah. like, you know with his massive hammer 
You know, there's a reason also, if you look at the Avengers, for instance, you know, Thor has his massive hammer. He's like, he's like wielding Mjolnir and just like smashing everything up. And then there's the Hulk. And then there's Captain America. Oh, with the shield. And what does Natasha do? She's what does just, Natasha she, do? like, she honestly, she's got speed. She's quick. You know what I mean? Simple. She's got speed. She's got, she can use her, her body to the, her body's advantage. Yeah. You don't see her coming and she's got cunning. She can get you to confess yeah. anything just by pretending to be like, you let your guard down and she knows where you're going because so yeah. you have to be like that. And that's one thing they always tell us, tell us in Nigeria, you know, yeah, this man might be brute force, brute force, bigger than you, man, you have to be, you have to be sharp. You have to be cunning. Yeah. So I wanted to create a protagonist that utilized the power structure in a, in a totally female way for that society yeah. you know which i love and then you've got treasure so you've got obviously you've got your two characters and treasure's story i think out of the two i was really moved by her you know it's really hard not to be you know she's suffering with grief and with loss and i think as well that was something that i really related to i mean did you always kind of know that she was gonna have this kind of this loss from the beginning that she was dealing with Yes, yeah, so Treasure was actually, so I wrote so many versions of this book, some unfinished, I think I only finished it once and it was like 94,000 words. But in total, I had I have about half a half a million words um, because I couldn't, I couldn't quite like, I couldn't quite decide who had what point of view. Right. So Treasure was always strong from the get-go. It was her voice I heard first, you know, in the old in the old structure of the book, she was always chapter one. And I knew her story because she was so strong. Ozemana, I knew her story as well. But Ozemana is very much, um, or the way I wrote Ozemana, the way she appeared to me, she, I, Treasure was very loud, but Ozemana was very quiet, but not in a shy way. Mm. Ozemana is the sort of character that has had to, you know, like I say in the book, you know, she's she's learned how to watch the world and give the world what it demands of her. And that's her way of surviving. You know, she's very much a watch now, act later sort yep. of person. And so she was a lot more subdued in her voice, not in the way that I've presented her voice, but in the kind of things that she had said to me. So treasure began because she was she's very angry. She's hurt. You know, she just wants vengeance on the whole world. And Ozemana would say something and I have to be like, shh, 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 to Treasure. Maybe I just need to hear. You know, so Ozemana was totally different. But Treasure's story from the get-go, I knew who she was. I knew, you know, she was just a very different person. You know, I, I always knew what was going to happen to her. And she's had it really rough. And I think part of that is that... Um, she suddenly had this fall from grace, right? And so it's a matter of like, she's an only child and the support system is not there. You know, I just wanted to show what her family life was like when you have a mother who is so beautiful that nobody trusts her. Women don't like her. Men desire her, but they don't desire her in a way that is pure. They desire to control and to subdue her. And into that comes comes treasure you know except she's got her father's love and respect and regard Ex and then she's got her mother's her mother doesn't really pay attention to her does she she's like nah. you know but she's got a system that it that works for her in terms yeah. of her father is her everything and then what happens when that everything is gone her mother in a way like treasure's mother in a way is is um much more savvy we know she falls into a depression and all that but she's still a lot more savvy because she's had I know what her story is and she's had to navigate the world with being a very beautiful woman and not having sort of like male male respect and protection until she meets Treasure's dad so in a way she she has a bit more cunning whereas Treasure has never had never had that and so she's having to deal with a world in which she suddenly realized how precarious her position is and she's angry she's hurt she's she just you know she has a she has a hard life and the consequences of that hardship that she faces informs the decisions that she takes in in the book yeah 
I think she's she's just such a beautiful character. And, and like you say, you know, it's really interesting with her mother, the idea of beauty is something we all covet, right? It's something we think will make our lives better. And if we're beautiful, we'll have all these opportunities. So I thought it was so interesting that in this story, you know, her beauty is a reason not to trust her. It's actually made her life harder, which I think is fascinating as an yeah, idea. Yeah, so she doesn't have any friends, does she? No. But if you had friends and your husband died, then you would have support. But yeah. she doesn't have any friends. She has people that want to be near her because she's that beautiful. But also on the other the other side of that coin is envy and jealousy. Yeah. So the minute that something bad happens to her, it's like, well, I guess your beauty didn't save you. Ha ha. You know, and so and so treasure is having to treasure also is a beautiful girl, but she's never had to rely on her beauty the way that her mother has had to. Mm she had her dad she had someone who loved her unconditionally someone who you know um or seemed to love her unconditionally someone who wanted the best for her someone who you know she had a lot going for her so she's never had to actually she never had to learn how to be um coy and you know like um sly and manipulative and like you know like her mom did so have to use that beauty as a tool rather than just exactly to get the things that you want exactly to get the things that you want she just never she just never had that which is why she's going around making deals with people that she probably shouldn't you know and this is the other thing I was going to ask you know you there is some magic within your book there's kind of layers of mystery and mystique and I was wondering how much of it's based on kind of true folklore you know true stories that you grew up with how much of it came from your imagination um, I'm just really curious about that. Um, I can't really say with any sort of certainty, but because I grew up in Nigeria where there is, there's no, there's no dichotomy between, <clears throat> between the supernatural and what you call real life. It's all real life to us. <clears throat> and it used to be like that here and it's coming, it's, it's going back to that way again, because people are beginning to realize that. I mean, yeah, yeah, age of enlightenment, yeah. But there are so many things that cannot be explained and there's a rise in in the supernatural in the way that we consume our literature and we consume our visual arts and things like that because there's so many unexplained things in the world for good or for ill and so there is a lot of it seems to be a lot of um there seems to be a lot of like influence of the supernatural for somebody who didn't grow up in Nigeria, but um, a lot of this stuff was just, so for instance, like we believe that spirits, spirits come into the marketplace and they mingle with people. Now, the reason for that is marketplaces are very, are sacred places. So we have like the goddesses after whom the markets are named that there are four, there are four day goddesses, right? There is uh, Eke, there's Ori, there's Afo, and there's Unko. And each market is named after each of the goddesses, right? right. So for instance, say, say, um, so I'm going to use London as an example, for instance. So say Spitalfields Market would be called Eke Spitalfields, right? right? And then you go a bit, maybe to like Turnpike Lane, and it would be called Ori Turnpike Lane. It means that on on those particular, there are only four days in the in the Igbo week and seven weeks as a consequence. But it means that on each of those market days that is dedicated to each goddess, people take turns. So it's not as if they're, it's not as if all the other markets are not operational, but you're more likely to go to the market on the day right. in which it honors because there are a lot more people. Now, as a consequence, the belief is that evil spirits come to shop and that's because like, when people die they don't just kind of some people go away if they've had their if they've lived their whole lives because we believe in reincarnation yeah. if you've gone through all your cycles of reincarnation then bye-bye for you go and rest but when you haven't then you're living very much a parallel existence to the one that we have and it means that you will need stuff won't you so when there's a market day a care or ori or a four you come to the market and you rub shoulders with everybody else. Now, stories about spirits 
are told to children as a way of also keeping them in line because you don't know when you're talking to your ancestor. So you can't be rude to people. You can't be impolite to people. You can't shove people. You can't, you can't, you know, it's just a way of keeping people in line because you never know who you're talking to. Yeah. So the whole idea is you have to have respect for everybody. You have to have reverence for everybody, rich, poor, disabled, um, female, male, because you don't know who you're talking to. And the idea is that the only way to know when somebody is a spirit is you have to bend over and look through your legs to see right. where legs are floating. You know, that's kind of like what we believe. We have to see whether their legs are touching the ground or not. The only thing is they don't like you doing that. Yep. So if they see you doing that, they're going to knock you on the head. And a lot of people, you, you die from being knocked on the, from being conked on the head by a spirit. So just don't do it. The point <laughs> is just respect everybody. Treat the market, the market like a sacred place. Uh, markets are places they don't they're not just places for buying and selling in Igbo culture they are places for innovation and for invention so if you needed anything made for you cloth uh, textile carpentry even little cog bits for machinery yes. there's always someone that will take you to where it can be done for you and so you have to respect the god both people the god of the marketplace after whom the market is named and the spirit of invention and enterprise, as well as the spirit of commerce. You have to respect all those things for your day to have any sort of meaning or for your life to have any sort of meaning. So there are a lot of influences there, but there's no one particular, there's no folk tale, for instance, that I, I put in there. It's just bits of things that I that I grew up with or like Igbo people grow, grow up with that I made into a story because that's the life that I had. Yeah. Oh, incredible. I mean, I, as I say, I absolutely adored the book. I think it's going to do incredibly. Uh, it's not long as well until it comes out, which must oh be. Oh my gosh. It's next to, oh my, it's a week actually. It's next it's Thursday. A, Thursday yeah, it's a week today from recording. I don't know what I'm going to do. I probably will just drop off the face. Oh no, I've been told not to say that. So I've been, I've been told by my editors not to talk about dying anymore because it's such a faff. They have to market me post- but, oh yeah no you can't be I've been told not to talk about dying and I've been told not to talk about disappearing because each time I talk about it Ella my editor Ella Golden she and my and my agent Lucy Lucy Morris they they get a bit they're like no don't 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 joke about it don't do it and I think it's because they know I'm just going to be like okay well bye you know leave my phone <laughs> and, and they're trying to be like no she has she has a book launch where she gone and I'll be like in a forest somewhere going phew it's relief not yeah so I've been told not to joke about it and I've been told not to do it and to keep me in line I've invited my one of my children for the book launch because I know he's going to be that he's going to he's not going to let me just retreat from the body go well I'm dressed now so can we go you know <laughs> so yeah it's a week and um, I'm looking forward to it I'm looking forward to a lot more people um having access to this world and you know my culture is very important to me it's it's very and these aspects of my culture for instance like people say oh it's speculative fiction I know what's speculative about it but hey do you it's not really for me the genre thing I mean like having to say what genre things are it's not really for me I'm just writing life as I know it yeah. and so I'm really interested in people coming into the life that we have in Nigeria it's not in you know it's not and it's the life that I had, because you see, for the longest time, um, a lot of the literature, I mean, after the golden age of literature, like with Wole Shoyenka and Chinua Achebe, Flores Swapa, uh, Buchi Emeche, after that age, they, and, and Amos Tutuola, for instance, but after that age, there seemed to be a lot of um, a, a drive towards and a lot of importance placed on poverty porn and child soldiers and rape, and, and I was like, well, listen, this is not, I haven't lived this life. I haven't lived a life in which rape was a possibility. You know, I grew up with parents who are well-to-do. And so I was protected and it felt for a while, like maybe your, your um, narrative is not valid because it's not full of suffering. Mm -hmm. So I'm very keen to, to represent my part of things. And we are very much valid, you know, Nigeria takes all sorts. It's not just one narrative. So I'm looking forward to people coming into a non-Lagos because Lagos is very features very heavily in Nigerian literature, but I don't have that experience with Lagos. I only went to Lagos, you know, to 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 leave Nigeria. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stay overnight and left. <laughs> and each yeah. time I come back, I stay with my sister and then I go down south. So yep. or down down to the southeast or fly across to the southeast from the southwest. But I don't have that's not my experience. I'm not, it's not Lagos centric and it's not poverty centric. And it's not, you know, it's just the kind of childhood I had where there was a bit of a there's a lot of movement between the town and the village. So going from the town to the village and vice versa, but it was still in the south southeast and I had the life that I had um my parents are in the medical profession for instance and you know they they had dual they had a dual role in in the town they were doctors and nurses and whatever pharmacists whatever but in the village then they had to do the medical equivalent of pro bono work where we had right. people just turn up for, for treatment and you're more than just you're more than just a doctor you have to listen to their problems you have to give money give aid give you know so I grew up in that world where you know the you had to understand that you are not a person in isolation and you had an impact on your community so I wanted to show that with Dazzling you know it was very much a one second. <laughs> yeah, so it's very much a, I wanted to show my own side of things and to show that um, it was valid as it is, you know, yeah. because it is valid as it is. Yeah. Nigeria takes on source. Nigeria is a massive country and there shouldn't only be one stream of, of, nar of narratives. And luckily for us, um, speculative fiction from the African diaspora and from people on the continent as well is gaining has gained you know in the last 10 years has gained a foothold um but that seems to be mostly through so magazines are quick to to have like they have a quick publishing turnaround mm -hmm. thing so a lot of online magazines are publishing stuff a lot more diverse stuff in the so-called genre world you know yeah so i'm glad that um that wildfire publishing this one. No, <laughs> and absolutely. People get to read it, yeah. No, and I'm, you know, I think it's a stunning book. And as you say, I think it's it's a whole other side that, you know, of Nigeria, I certainly haven't read. Um, I thought it was really vivid and colorful. And, you know, there are some darker moments in it that I didn't expect, but I think they make the brighter moments shine brighter, right? Which I loved, I think, you know, and also, I love it when you get a book and there is like a bit of a punch you're not expecting. And you're like, ooh, I didn't think it was going to, you know, hit that hard. And then you have a, you know, a bit of levity. I think it's a stunning book. I think it's going to do absolutely amazing. And now I'm not going to lie. I actually have really big expectations for your novel evening now. Because I think you're... Oh, no. Is yeah. That I think you're someone who's pretty creative. Um, so I think you're going to bring something that maybe other people haven't bought to uh, to theirs. And also, I know you're kind of winging this a little bit, which I think is fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I tend to wing a lot of things, to be honest, because, um, I mean, I worked at, for a while, I was at the BBC World Service. Shout out, African Productions. So I was in African Productions, and I used to get really nervous about... Um, you know, you have to put a script together, you have to get yeah. the right guests, you have to, it's, oh my God, it's a lot. And I used to get really nervous about, about being on air. And I remember this, this journalist who had been there for years, Matthew Kenyon, he called me aside one day and he said to me, listen, it's only radio, you know, it's only radio. You've done the research. And when you do the research, you know your subject. You don't need to actually consult yeah. notes you because what happens is the more you consult notes the stiffer everything is people can hear that you're stumbling around trying to find where you've written this thing and you know and it it made my I mean he's a friend now so that was how useful that advice was um it made me realize that all I needed to do was just study my study my my stuff and the thing is with writing dazzling it's been since 2000 so like I said I have a half a million about half a million words so I've been studying and and writing it for a long time so there isn't any need for me I don't think to to um have notes or prepare in a way that will make the whole conversation stayed yeah. or slow or scripted and so I still use the that training in in all aspects of my life if it's something I don't know then I'll read up on it but then I will try not to I'll have like bullet points of things I should hit, yeah. but I'll try not to sort of like study like it's an exam because then everything gets a bit and then I get nervous because I'm thinking, oh I'm gonna I'm gonna miss this point. No. 
um, even if I were to prepare the way that you ask me questions, even if you gave me the questions ahead of time with a conversation, the way that it flows, other things prop up yeah. and you need to be able to react to them like as quickly as they come up and not think, oh, I have this point I want to hit first. No. You're here teaching me <laughs> as well. No, I'm like, <laughs> I need to be the one taking notes right <laughs> Point. Okay, so when we start the novel evening, the first thing I ask is where are you going to go for your novel evening? So where would you host your your evening with your guests? Ooh, I think... Hmm, I think, I mean, it's got to be in a forest somewhere. <sighs> it's got to be in a forest somewhere. Um, I think if I were going to go... If I was going to be in England, I would probably go to Sherwood Forest because I love Sherwood Forest. I was born in, in Worksop, and so it's kind of like my local forest. Yeah. I really love Sherwood Forest because it's so dark and so green and so beautiful. Um, or I would go to Thailand. I've never been to Thailand, but I have dreams about Thailand. And I just want to eat all the food. That's my thing. I'm like, all the street food. I want to eat all the street food. But I reckon either a forest retreat with lantern lights somewhere yeah. in, in England and like wooden houses and little pods, like little hobbity pods and like a tree house, uh, you know, where it looks- What I'm picturing, have you ever seen Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves? Ages ago, when Kevin Costner film, and then they yes. in deep they've got the like the bridge, yeah. the buildings, yeah. And stuff. yeah, like that, like that, exactly like that. You know yeah. where we have like I don't even want a big roar. I don't like a big roaring fire. I mean, there should be a main fire, but then you can have like little fires from place fires. to place. Yeah, people play music and people telling stories and people napping and dogs around and you know. Oh, something like that so a forest a forest setting somewhere I think I've never been to Sherwood either it's so high on my list because also it looks so ancient it feels like it's really ancient yeah. it's so there's a tree there's an old oak tree that is like thousands of years old and it's propped up by so many metal rods I'm just like let this tree die let this tree die <laughs> let, it just let it go now it's tall and they're like this is the oldest oak tree yeah yeah we know we can see it let it die. Trees are meant to die. And other and it's suffering out. now. You, know, you like, kept oh, it going. It's, it's just suffering. Just let it die. You know, so, and another thing they do in Sherwood Forest is they tend to map out different areas. So f after about a year or so, maybe two years, they change the tracks around so that the forest recovers from where people have been going up and yeah. down it. So I really like a forest setting. I really like, you know, the so-called glamping settings I like, but nowhere that has mosquitoes because like, um, well, not like, but because mosquitoes tend to like me a lot. They love my blood. And um, I have, um, I'm an AA group. And so yeah. my my blood platelets are nice and round to carry oh, all the to carry all the anopheles mosquito virus. No, I don't want, I don't, no, 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 I don't want to die. <laughs> You're so, um, like prime. No, 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 no mosquitoes anywhere. Just somewhere that is nice in a, in a nice forest clearing with music and, and also, like, I need the kind of music that you play in forest to be a bit, you know, like when if you're if you're camp if you're hiking, for instance, and you hear music in the forest, you think, oh, what's going on? It's scary. Yeah, I want that. I want that. I want people to just stay away and be like, we don't know what's going on. Are they sacrificing human beings? Is it fairies? Is it people? Uh, but if you brave it, you're welcome to our fires. But yeah, Ooh. that's what I'd like. Yeah. <laughs> love this. Okay, that is an ideal setting. I love the idea as well. Maybe if it's like summer and then the sun's going down. Yeah, and... but not that kind of heat wave summer that we had no. where, no, 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 like a good summer. A good summer where by eight o'clock, nine o'clock, they still, the sun is still just going to sleep, you know, and the kids have been fed, but they're not sleepy. So they are running around and exhausting themselves. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Perfect. Yes. So okay. If it's not that, if it's not a forest setting or Thailand, then it would be somewhere like New Orleans, you know, because I like I like the idea of that. I've not been to New Orleans either, but I like the idea of being being living alongside the dead is very much a Nigerian thing yeah. to do. You know, we bury our we bury our family in this in the compound in the ground where we live. Yeah. And so I like the idea of just being with all these dead people and I like the way that the houses are made so that you come into a house for instance and the 
uh, there's a quadrangle inside. Yeah. And so wherever you are in the balcony surrounding the quadrangle, you can see people just downstairs. I would like something like that. Yeah. That's also nice. Oh, I like all three of your settings. Also, beignets. That's why I want to go to New Orleans. Like, that's why I would go. For Thailand, for the Thailand wanted to be like a, a long house. And I like the long houses because they remind me of like the, the reception. We have long houses in Nigeria, but they are made from clay. So it keeps cool. Oh. And the roofs are thatched. So you know, air goes through, but no water comes through and everything's just beautiful, you know? So I like the similarities of, I like things that are, that feel familiar to me, but are just a little bit different, which is why I haven't said, oh, I'll go to Nigeria because going to Nigeria is kind of like, you know, it's different. It's kind of, I'll be at home. I'll be the yeah. host. I'll be doing everything. No, no, no. I want to also be a little bit new to the people. I want other people to to look after me because I'll be in a different setting, but I want things familiar enough that, you know, there is relaxing. So it's one of those tight long houses yeah. open, open all the way through with the breeze and the, and the screens that separate. Oh yes. Or in the forest, in, uh, in little pods or in a uh, quadrangle, you know, with a house in, in New Orleans. Yes. These are all excellent choices. Okay. So who was the first person you would invite to join you at one of these locations? Oh, first person. Do they have to be a writer? It can be a character. It could be an author, dead or alive. Anything goes. Ooh, Oscar Wilde. Ooh. Oscar Wilde. The thing is, though, Oscar Wilde would determine where we stay. Yeah. Because. Yeah. <laughs> you no, know, you know, like, I feel like. I feel like you can't have him all dandified and take him to a forest. You know, you might do, but then you would have to get a, you would have to have people carry him on a chair. You know, those, what they call those chairs? What they call them again? Um, yeah, I know them. what you mean, but they like hoist like, up in the air. Yeah, you have to carry him like a Roman, like a, like a Roman emperor. You would have to do that. He can't be getting his beautiful shoes dirty, you know, but he would be a, a, a wonderful, you have to get the rich reds the rich red wine, you have to have like a cracking, like you have to have like a proper tent for him that is outfitted with ornate stuff. Like, you know, like, like how you have like, uh, like, uh, the Berbers. Yes. You know, like yeah. that. You have to have him a nice tent. Yeah. You have to have a nice tent with like golden, nice ornate statuette inside, like a proper tent with like, you know, Persian rugs on the bottom. That's it's Oscar Wilde they're talking about. You can't go half seas for him. It's a, lot, it's a lot of work. Um, it's a lot of pre-planning. I would do it though. Can you imagine if he came alive for just one night? Oh, the story. So much of it. Yeah, I was, so my undergraduate thesis was was on him because I think he's I'm not. It's not even he was. I think he is a fabulous person. And as as as, as with people who who have lived who have been born ahead of their time, you know, obviously nobody appreciated him. They did appreciate him, but they were also very happy to pull him down when it suited. Yeah. And, and I wonder what he would be like now with social media and the fact that he could, he could have got married to any man he wanted. And um, yeah, so him first, I think, him first. Ooh, glorious. Okay, so Oscar's arrived wherever we may be, either yeah. on his, his litter or his, uh, you know, <laughs> streets of of new orleans okay who's next i think i would probably invite buchia mecheta oh tell me more buchia mecheta is this was this nigerian writer who is just amazing so prolific she she got married very young. She had like five children in succession. She had a horrible husband who was very abusive and mean to her, who burned her manuscript, her first manuscript, when she showed it to him. And I would invite her because I think she's just the epitome of womanhood and feminist womanhood. And she took care of her five children alone. Wow. And obviously, she unfortunately she 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 was survived by only three of them because two of them died before she did. And she was just this amazing woman. I think that I would like her to be alive so that I can give her her flowers, you know, sit her in a chair, put her feet up. He, she, see, she, I can see in a Thai setting. Yeah. 
you know, where she just has like her Nigerian wax print clothes on with her scarf on. And she's sitting on one of those like raffia chairs and she's rocking. And people are just fanning her with palm front fans and just feeding her things, like bringing her dishes, like little dishes of fish. Because she's from like Delta State in Nigeria where they live by the water. So their livelihood is also very, very kind of like seafaring livelihood. So she has a lot of, I believe her diet will have comprised a lot of like couples and fish and things like that. And so like, we would just feed her like these fragrant little clay pots bubbling with like curries and rice and just fan her and give her like fresh juices and just sit by her feet and listen to her. She spoke. <gasps> that sounds heavenly. And then she and Oscar Wilde will suit as well because, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, yeah. So her, her, yes. Nice. Okay. Are you going to go for a couple more people? I think, oh, this is getting harder. Yeah. Um, I think that for a character from a book, oh, this is controversial. Ooh. I think I'll probably invite Treasure. I know I feel bad now <laughs> but I feel like I'll invite her because she needs to see what love is like when it's unconditional oh so I think I think I will invite her to just kind of like hang out and play with people who are her age you oh. know and she I can see in Thailand as well or in the forest Oh, she'd love, I can imagine her in a forest roaming. Yeah, yeah, I think she would love a forest. I think just kind of like climbing trees, plucking fruits, that kind of life will suit her just fine. You know, fetching water from the stream and drinking it down while it's still from a spring, while it's still nice and cool. Paddling with other kids. You know, like I feel like she would really just kind of, oh, just chill. Okay, enjoy your life. Um, Who else do I, who else do I have a, I have a crush on someone, don't I? I'm trying to remember who it is. I'm going to have to finish this podcast now and, and then I'll go. I'm, oh my God, I forgot this person. Um, but there's someone I have. A, who is this person I really like? You know, um, oh my God. So the woman who plays Kamina Drummer in The Expanse. Oh, I don't know. I don't even know her name, but like, she doesn't look like she sleeps much. She, she, Kamina Drummer, she's this actress with these cheekbones that are just to die for. And her voice is so. Oh, wow. You know, I've just Googled her and I'm like, yes. Yeah. yeah. So the character, I don't know what she's like in real life, right? But yeah, the Kamina character, Drummer. Kamina Drummer, I would invite definitely. Except she wouldn't be able to relax. She's not the kind of person that relaxes. She's a wartime sort of person, but I think you need a wartime person even during peacetime because they can foresee what the rest of us Kumbaya people in the forest cannot foresee. So she'll just be ready at all times to slash, to slash and to dice uh, people. Um, I would invite my grandfather because, you know, like, um, I don't know, because he lived so long. He lived to like 111 and I sometimes wonder what he'd seen and what had happened. And I would invite him for the stories. And like, because he never left Nigeria, I would invite him to somewhere that's not Nigeria so that he can sort of see what the other parts of the world are like. That's incredible. I think. But I feel like I'm forgetting other people. I'm forgetting someone. Who do I have a crush on? I feel like I should check my Twitter because I'm always going on about people <laughs> that I really, really love. And everybody goes, oh, yeah, me too. And I'm thinking, no, no, not you. Not you. Um, not you too, because this person belongs to just me only. Um, I'll probably invite my children as well. I'll have my children there. <laughs> Oh, I would not to, invite my children. I would no. I would let me tell you why I would invite my children, right? Because I believe that the reason why our children are very on top of us all the time is because we have a very nuclear family system way of operating, and so they only know you. They rely on you for entertainment, which is rare. And I always say to my kids, "Stop asking me. Figure it out yourself." You know, they're like, "Mama, should I put this here or should I put this here? Figure it out." Yeah. I'd rather you put it somewhere and I moved it than you're just asking me. Don't ask me. You know, and uh, my mom had six children. You didn't go to my mom for anything unless it was really serious. Like you have to have been bleeding. And even then you will hide it. Because... And I'm missing to go to your mom. 
missing. And even then you would hide it. And the reason you would hide it is for you to have got that arm missing. You are, you have to have been doing something that she doesn't want you to do. Yeah. You, you put your arm back. You like, mm, MacGyver the arm. <laughs> you put like <laughs> stellotape on it, like tie it. And she's like, what's wrong with your arm? You're like, nothing. And you're shaking because you have blood loss and you have a fever. Are you sure? Yes. You know, and eventually your arm will fit. But this is why I also have like this weird finger because once I was um in church and I was doing something I shouldn't be doing. And my, my sister tried to pull my arm down, my hand down, but she only got this one and she yanked it down. Do you think I told my mom? No, because I was doing something I was not supposed to be doing in church. Church of you know, all exactly. You know, so like you learn how to sort of like, yeah, you learn that there are mommy issues, there are daddy issues. Then there are the issues that you sort with your peers and then there are the issues that you sort with yourself. And I think you're more likely to, to become resilient when you have people outside your immediate family because you have a lot more options for problem solving that don't involve your parents and whatever set knowledge that they have. You have a lot more people talking to you. You have a lot more things to figure out. And your parents also don't always have to helicopter you or helicopter parent you because they have other people to talk to. They have other, you know, so I think I would invite my parents, my, my children in that setting because there are a lot more people around. I mean, can you imagine Oscar Wilde babysitting my kids? Come I was going to say, what would Oscar Wilde? I just... Or like Buchia Mecheta who raised five children by herself. This is like easy peasy <laughs> you know or or like my grandpa who wants to wants to see his descendants what no i'll be winning there i'll be like i'll be i'll be the revered one because i gave them children you know i continued the bloodline you did so i think yeah so i think i think for now these are the people i would invite um i don't i don't know of anybody else there are a few painters and stuff but I mean, I probably invite my grandmothers, to be honest, because I think they're amazing. Both of them are amazing in their own separate ways. But I think, I think if you, if 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 I were to to choose, a lot of my people will come from family, friends, and family, because a lot of dazzling and basically the work that I do is because I'm haunted by things that I don't know about my family history and things that I don't know about my origins and that's because records weren't kept like written down you know they used to be kept orally but that's a forgotten art <clears throat> so a lot of my drive comes from filling in the gaps with the information I have or discovering or discovering um links that that have existed and in places where I can't discover those links then I create them for myself so I think if I had a chance to invite um, anyone to my novel evening, it's probably a lot of it will be family, yeah. Past family, yeah. I love Dead that. family, all my ancestors, family. all my ancestors, come on down. Yeah, come and join us in the yes. forest. Yeah, 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 I would invite all of them. Yeah, yeah, I would invite all of them, I think. I think Oscar would love that as well. I think he would. I think so, with a bunch of Nigerians, he'll be in heaven, man. Ooh, he would be. He would just be like, it's, and I'm not even greedy, you know, it's just for 24 hours. Just come out, all of you come down for 24 hours. After that, just go back to your places of rest because I feel like they would be enchanted by the technology or horrified, either way is welcome, by the technology, <laughs> by the way we live. I just want to show them things. I mean, I believe that they see things from where they are, but it's different from like rubbish shoulders with people it, in the right? market. Exactly. Yeah. So I think I would like that for them. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. And what you've said about, you know, your past and family is something I really resonate with really strongly. Um, and I think I'd do similarly if I was able to have 24 hours with with ancestors I hadn't met, I would love to do that. And I usually ask at this point, if there's anybody who's not welcome to your one of your many gatherings that we're having globally. Uh, but who's not welcome? It's really hard for me to say I don't like to not like people. Um, I mean, obviously, bad is like Hitler can laugh off. Um, Nobody wants a party where Hitler's turned up. That just no, 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 he can laugh off somewhere. I mean, <laughs> but the thing is this, like I say this, right? But, you know, the, the, the thing that makes a good villain is the fact that the villain feels justified in what they're doing. You know, yeah. he's not just being evil for being evil sake. He really believed that, oh, the Jews were a threat. But he can laugh off to hellfire somewhere <laughs> because nobody's inviting him. 
No. Um, who would I not invite? I I don't know if that's my vibe, you know. No. I don't know if that's my vibe of like keeping people out. I'm more concerned with whom I will invite. You know, whoever I keep out was meant to be out anyway, but not consciously keeping them out. Just focusing on what's important to me and the people whom I I want to show reverence and respect to and regard for. And I want them to enjoy and to learn from them. I don't, you know, I just want them to, I just want them to just chill. Like I, you know, it's probably like my whole, because they, they, they're they like, oh, I don't know if you believe in, in Zodiac science, but they're like, oh, Taurians like to stay close to home and they like the best of life and food and drink and blah, blah. I'm like a typical Taurian, you know, I just, I just want to have a good time. <laughs> you know, chill, I'm eat, a, whether I'm here for a long time or not, I just want to have a good time. Good so time. I'm, I'm more concerned with the people that I invite to have a good time yep. with me than anybody else that I'm keeping out. I, I haven't really given that question much thought because mm, negative vibes. I only want positive vibes, you know. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And you're not the first person to say that either. So I think that's Oh really? Oh, fair. now I feel original. Damn it. Okay, yeah. let me look for somebody now to keep up. Okay. You're like, wait a minute. <laughs> Hitler. I mean, <laughs> actually a few people have also said Hitler, but then I feel like I just say he's, 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 he's not on the baddies, top of the guest list. He's like a baddie's baddie. You know, he's just like uh he's a proper baddie. He's just no. He was no, small and unattractive. He was he just, no. Yeah. You know, like he killed his children and his wife so that nobody would get them because you knew that what you were doing. Nah, nah, enough of. We're not having that. You know? Yeah, enough of Hitler. I love it. Well, I no. love all three of your novel evenings in their various yeah. locations. I think we're going to yes. do traveling about. Yeah, but um, I'm green, so you know I'll have all of them at the same time. Yeah, sod it. You can. I don't get to choose one. Yeah, I don't get to choose one. <laughs> And before I let you go and enjoy the rest of your day, are you reading anything at the moment? Oh, yes, I am reading Now She's a Witch by Kirsty Logan. Now, I have a talk with Kirsty Logan and Emilia Hart, who's the author of Wayward, the superb Wayward. I have a talk, a panel to do with them today, the 9th at Waterstones, 6.30 to I think 8.30, Waterstones Piccadilly, 6.30 to 8.30. And um, so I'm reading Kirsty's book because I've read Wayward before. Now, the thing about Now She's Witch is she does this interesting thing with voice with one of her protagonists, which is just chef's kiss. And uh, I sent her a message to say, man, you're killing me, man. Like you've just disemboweled me and left me on the roadside for dead. Like, because it's just so good. And I'm 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 rewarding myself with it a little at a time. But because I'm going to be on the train soon, um, I'm probably going to finish it before I get into Waterstones um Piccadilly. Oh. Which is also a bad thing for me because I'm going to a bookshop and I have a card. And now I've got my Society of Authors membership card, which entitles me to how many percent off. And so I think the one way that I'm I'm going to try to combat that is to not take any extra tote bags with me. And that way it's just a faff to carry back. And to tell myself, obviously, repeatedly, you can buy it later, you can buy it later. But it's going to be hard. It's, it's three stories of books. Oh, and obviously, like, if I'm going to buy books in Waterstones, I think I'm going to only buy graphic novels because I haven't, I haven't read a good graphic novel in a while. I'm a big fan of graphic novels, like, you know, uh, Persepolis or yeah. or or um Tamara Drew or or oh there's even another one I'm looking at there Cassandra Dark so I like Posey, I like, like Posey Simmons yeah I like Posey Simmons a lot yeah. and then there's this, there's the whole of Saga there's Bitch Planet there's Paper Girls um and their um, graphic novel section is outrageous as well yeah. <laughs> you know there's Jamilti there is uh, Chico and Rita. There's so many, and I haven't, I haven't. So I go to a place called Dave's Comics here in Brighton, and um, but it's a really small building. It's really cramped, and I'm always very, very conscious of taking up space while I browse. So I always go there with what I, what I yeah. want in my hand. I go, you know, but being in Waterstones, I'm going to arrive early. 
to oh i feel like man it's please be... do share what you inevitably end up purchasing <laughs> yeah i'll try not to buy too much but i i don't i don't see it not happening it's gonna happen so i've resigned myself it. to faith yeah yeah I've resigned myself to that faith. feeling it's gonna happen <laughs> I've resigned myself to fate. Yes, yes, yes. I, I think I'll try and find something by uh, Marguerite Abouet, who wrote the, um, she wrote the, um, whatchamacallit, uh, um, uh, what's her name? Eva de Yipugon, not Eva, Ada, uh, is it Eva de Yipugon? No, what is it? I have it here somewhere. Oh, Aya, that's it. Oh my God. And it was, it was a V. Aya, Aya de Yopugon, which is in French and because she's Cameroonian, I think, which is in French and English. I don't read French. So I have all the English versions. Yeah. And I need to see what else she's into. It's just, I can show you, do you want to see what it looks like? Yeah. It's beautifully illustrated. Yeah, show me, show me, show me. So that's what it looks like. <gasps> oh, wow. That's what it looks like. And... I'll just why is it blurred because in a moment it's not your face i'll give yeah, it though i will absolutely i'm gonna save that now yeah and then and then if you if you like if you like if you like um if you like um dazzling then i think you should get a book called german calendar no december is by sylvia ophili and a woman called bridget wehi i think Ooh. and it is about this mixed race girl growing up in uh, Nigeria and going to boarding school in Nigeria before she finally leaves for, for Germany. And it's brilliant. I think it's, it's a part memoir by, by Sylvia Ophili, who is a, a Nigerian mixed, mixed race Nigerian writer as well. So I think today it's going to be all about the graphic novels for me. Yes, yes, definitely indeed. Good plan. Honestly, every time I go to London, I'm like, I'm gonna go there and I'm not gonna buy anything. And I come out with like six books. I'm like, well. Yeah, I just avoid I just avoid because um I say to myself, no, you're only going to eat because it's just so attractive. And also obviously today is Thursday, right? That means Piccadilly Circus is going to be lit up like mm -hmm. I don't know, like the North Pole, and it's going to be open for longer. So like they're like, Oh yeah, come and spend some more of your money. And I have two children, you understand? Like by yeah. the time I finish paying. <laughs> By the time I finish paying tax, <laughs> I'm literally I'm my kids, them. they can eat, you know. I'm I, feeding them. I have I have nothing. It's like, oh well, I guess you're gonna read books for the whole month. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, sorry guys, there's no heat. Yeah, it's wood pop is nutritious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like I, I also have to be careful about it because you know, things are very expensive and uh, and we have people who are professionals like nurses and whatnot using food banks. And so I think I'd like to use the opportunity to say donate to your food banks and yeah. um, try to donate, try to donate a lot of um, feminine hygiene products because what people who use food banks tend to do is they tend to forfeit those things, you know, to get food for themselves and their families. And so, you know, toothbrush, toothpaste, deodorant, shampoo, shower gel, but most importantly, you know, tampons and sanitary towels day and night. Yeah, absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Um, having per family experience with with a similar situation, that is the first thing I think that goes that they can't. Yeah, people just say, "Well, I can use toilet roll or whatever," and that's really dangerous. Yeah. So I think you know, as long as as much as you are donating tin goods and whatnot, everybody is doing tin goods. But we need to make sure that the women who actually care for these households are also protected, so that they're not coming down with ailments and diseases and conditions that can kill them, like TSS, for instance. So. Absolutely, absolutely agree. And thank you so, so much. This has thank been thank you so much. It's been so amazing. <laughs> I've really, really enjoyed it. It's been so insightful. Uh, and yeah, Dazzling is out in a week. Um, yeah, the 16th of February. It's mm. going to be incredible. It's going to do so, so well. And thank, thank you, you so much. much again. Thank you. Thank you.